I know what some of you are thinking. You are thinking Brent Cunningham had a really hard week if he looks like this. If we haven't had a chance to meet in person, my name is Bob Seal. I'm one of the executive pastors here at Timberline Church. And it's so fun to be together. Right now is one of my two favorite parts of, a year, of the year. The first part, my favorite part is Christmas and the weeks leading up to Christmas. My second favorite part of the year are the weeks leading up to Easter. And this Easter, as I've been reading along, I've been spending time in the morning, opening up my Bible, praying, uh, thinking about uh, just life and God and life with God, what that means for me and my family, I've been consistently brought back to the four accounts of the life of Jesus. We call them the four gospels, okay? The, the gospel meaning good news. It's the four accounts of the life of Jesus. And it's always scary when you get up to teach as a pastor, if you're gonna be teaching out of the, one of these four gospel accounts, because I mean, if you're a pastor, you're supposed to be kind of like a theological heavyweight, all right? And, and this is like basic stuff, right? I mean, everybody's, you know, at least heard something about Jesus. But this particular season, I feel like I've been challenged to think back to when I didn't know much about Jesus, even to reach back to a time when I wasn't following Jesus, and to read the accounts of the life of Jesus with those eyes. And it's been fun, and it's been challenging, and I've felt myself in a, real way, in a real way, and I don't want this to sound weird or pastorly, though it's danger of doing both. I've found myself in a really fun way falling in love again with who Jesus is and what he has to say about our lives and his life and how they connect, how his story and our story, they connect together. Now, some of you don't know this about me, that I was, on, I was on a part of a ministry called Young Life it, for 25 years. That's where I spent most of my career. And Young Life is kind of like a youth group for students without a youth group. In fact, most of the students that we work with have either had a really bad introduction to Jesus or they've had really no introduction to Jesus. And through building just unconditional friendships with them, we kind of win the right to talk to them about the big things about God and the big things about life. It just kind of happens naturally in the friendship that, that we have. Um, now, as I talk to my high school friends, you know, I still keep in touch with them. My daughter's just a few years out of high school. I started talking to them. I'm like, hey, what are your friends saying about Jesus? What do they think about Jesus? My daughter told me this story. She says, I was recently having lunch with one of my friends and her friend, was courageous enough to tell her, hey, I, somebody told me like you're a Christian. Is that true? And, and Riley was like, yeah, I, I am. You, you know, in fact, I'm really involved over at Timberline with the, the students over there. It's great. She goes, I was so surprised to hear that. And Riley, all of a sudden, I, I can picture her turning red, you, you know, kind of a little flushed. And she goes, well, why is that? She goes, well, you're just so nice and welcoming and kind and accepting. And so my, you know, Riley comes back and we're debriefing this and I'm, I thought to myself, oh my goodness. The label Christian has a whole bunch of other stuff attached to it, at least for this young woman, my daughter's friend. And not much of it very good. And so the way her friendship with my daughter, though, started to break down some of those things. It made her curious. And I felt so grieved that somehow along the way, she had had a very bad introduction to Jesus. And luckily in this moment, my daughter was able to kind of redeem that and begin to give her a little bit of a more winsome introduction to Jesus. One of my roles when I was on Young Life staff is sometimes during the summer for one month, for four weeks, one week at a time, I would have the privilege of talking and sharing about Jesus with 550 high schoolers from all over the US. Here's the scary thing about this, you ready? You've got about 30 seconds, 
30 seconds is all you've got because they don't know me from anyone. They've traveled there with some of their young life leaders, these adults who have been spending time with them. You have 30 seconds to get their attention because they're deciding if for the next seven days they're going to listen to anything you say. And I was always looking in the back of the room. And if you're in the back of the room, I'm not counting you in this. Okay, that's not you. Okay. Um, the, the folks in the back of the room often were the students who came. They knew that it was going to have something to do about Jesus. But they sat in the back as if to say, hey, I'll tolerate the Jesus stuff, but I'm here for the fun. And I remember one of my friends would come in and he would pray for me while I was talking about Jesus. And he would sit in the back and he was always sitting next to these two guys. And he said, hey, I want to tell you something that happened. They moved from indifference the first three nights. But on the fourth night, when you end the talk, this one guy turned to his friend and he's like, have you heard any of this before? And his friend's like, no, man. Like, this is all new to me. And he said, do you think, like, this really happened and is true? And his friend, in just in a moment of honesty, not knowing anybody was eavesdropping on their conversation, was like, I think so. And if it is, I think we ought to be listening. So here's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to go back, however far you need to go back, to be in touch with those moments where you just started hearing about Jesus. Maybe take all the stuff that's up in the head and for one night begin to set it aside just a little bit in the best sense of that and encounter Jesus through three snapshots. We're going to take three snapshots that I hope will take us into Lent the season as we approach, approach and prepare for Easter, three snapshots that maybe in the coming weeks God might use in our hearts to stir, invigorate, energize our relationship with Jesus. Um, one, of, one of the things that I also did with students was I would go to a week with some of the students I'd befriended. One of the summers, I took a wild group of students from Fort Collins High School. You guys, this group of guys was out of control, all right? Um, their administration knew they were out of control. Their parents knew they were out of control. I knew they were out of control. And somehow in my head, I thought it was a great idea to put them on a coach bus, travel almost 20 hours up the highway to the kind of up into upstate Minnesota to a camp called Castaway on uh, the Pelican Lake, kind of near Detroit Lakes, if you're familiar with Minnesota at all. And there there's this resort for high school students with zip lining and ski boats and wakeboarding and jet skis and sailboat. I mean, it's just so much fun. In fact, we would guarantee students the best week of their life or we'd give them their money back. So we travel up there, we're, we're there, we get our room. They give you a room, it's 14 dudes gonna be in this room for a week together with this wild bunch. And it was all of a nautical theme, and the name of our room was The Bilge. <laughs> Sexy, right? Like, you don't even have to know anything about boating to know that The Bilge is not the part of the boat that you wanna be in. But this is kind of the engine room part of the boat where water's pumped out of it that gets into the boat. And so we go into the bilge, and the bilge, it was good news, bad news, okay? Good news was there was no windows, okay? So for sleeping, this room was the best room at the camp for sleeping, because when the lights went off, it was pitch black, and the only ventilation you had was this little, like, bathroom fan. I don't know what they thought that was going to do, one bathroom fan with 14 guys, but... So you would flip it on, and so it was like white noise, and it was, you know, just dark in there. The bad news, if you can think of this, is it's a water kind of camp. You're in your bathing suit. You got clothes that are wet all the time, and they're thrown all over the floor of the room starting day one, and they just kind of ruminate there. Okay, they kind of just collect there. And we only have one ceiling fan, and it begins to have a certain smell to it. 
And you never quite feel like you're dry after the third day there, while you're there. But the bilge, it was good for sleeping. It was not good for entering. It was also good for exiting, actually. So one night, I hear a bunch of guys running up and down the hallway. My guys are sound asleep. I'm the leader. I gotta, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go regulate on some yahoos out there. I bust open in the door, and there's guys running down with mattresses on their head, and they're all running into the bathroom. And I'm like, is this some Minnesota thing I don't know about? First time to Minnesota. And this leader looks at me, and he goes, look outside. And I look outside, and there is the craziest thunderstorm I have ever seen in my life over the lake. Lightning coming down, torrential rain, trees just bending over, white caps on the lake. And we woke up in the morning, and the camp's a little bit in disarray. My guys don't hear a thing. Like, they woke up in the morning, and everybody's like, dude, that was crazy, wasn't it? And they were like, yeah, crazy. And, and they're like, hey, Bob, what happened? And I was like, there was a crazy storm. You guys just didn't catch any of it. The next night, I'm sound asleep. And all of a sudden, like I know something's wrong. And there, I wake up to a dude's face, like this far from me with a flashlight. And he's like, Bob, Bob. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, this storm's worse than the other one. So all the guys are asleep. I jump out of my bed, and this storm has rolled across. You could see the wall of rain coming at this dorm that we're in. And as it hit us, tornadoes and big storms like this were normal. There was actually a building that was built underground for safety in case of tornadoes. And we both looked at each other and we're like, hey, we need to evac this building and get underground, that looks really bad. And so we push the door to get out and we can't open it. And we push again and I'm thinking a tree has fallen in front of the door. And then we get it about two inches open and we realize it's not a tree in front of the door. The wind is blowing so strong against the door, we can only open it an inch. And I'm like, hey, I'm not going out there. And so we rode the storm out there in the bilge, but it's the craziest storm, it snapped trees in half. The lightning would flash, the sailboat was thrown up on the beach. Um, the ski boats, we had to go look for them the next day because they'd been flipped over and floated away and some of them had sunk. It was a wild storm, but storms like this happened a lot in this part of Minnesota because it would, the, the storms would start rolling across the plains and then it would hit this little depression, this lake that's there, and all of a sudden hot air and cold air are colliding and it would create these violent storms. Jesus and his disciples found themselves on a lake just like this. Now some of his disciples were fishermen and so they were pretty savvy to storms like this. They fished this lake. They knew it well. But let's pick up Jesus in a similar situation, except he's out on the water. Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. Again, if you're familiar with this passage, don't let your familiarity dull your senses to engage this. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. That's a, a weird little phrase. They took him along just as he was. We're going to find out in a second how he was, was exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally spent, all poured out. And he gets on the boat and he says, let's go to the other side, leaving the journey across the lake to the experts. There were also other boats with him and a furious squall, a storm comes up, it comes up suddenly and waves are breaking over the boat so that the boat's nearly swamped. So the boat is taking on water and as it gets heavier, it's in danger of sinking. Okay, so there are guys rowing, there are guys tying stuff down, there are guys bailing water, but they're in real imminent danger of the boat sinking in the midst of this storm. Jesus was in the stern, the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. That's tired. 
That's exhausted. That's like next level exhausted. And, and Jesus wasn't faking it, kind of with one eye open going, <laughs> I'm going to show these guys. He's dead asleep. In the Greek here, when it says cushion, the Greek word for that means corduroy cushion. Corduroy cushion, that fabric that has the lines on it. No, it doesn't mean that at all, okay? I'm just telling you, but it just makes the story better if you think of him sleeping on a corduroy cushion. Here's why. Here's what happens. Um, they're panicked. They're about to go down. They're bailing water. They're straining at the oars. Even the fishermen are scared at this point. And the, one of the disciples at some point had to see, look back and see Jesus sleeping and had to think what I would have thought or maybe you would have thought like, hey, at least he can pitch in. Like, it, it, he's the one who told us to go across the lake, and now he's sleeping, sleep, he's sleeping while we're about to drown. And so it says that um, it's really nice. It, they seem to be very polite disciples in a crisis because it says the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Okay, it, it's almost like you want them to have a British accent to be very polite. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I don't think that's how they said it. I think they walked up and they tapped him first. They, and then I think they shook him possibly and said, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Get up and start bailing. I think somebody handed him a bucket possibly. Start bailing, Jesus. And Jesus gets up from laying on his corduroy cushion loose interpretation there, with the lines on his face, his hair's matted. I mean, you know, in my 20s, I would get up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, okay. 30s, it was like, ooh. 40s, it was like, uh-uh. Now it's just like, are you alive? Like, are you even alive? Jesus wakes up from a deep sleep, shook from the sleep, hair matted, laying on a cushion with the cushion lines still on him. And it, and it says this, he says, he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And he says, exclamation parts, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. Boom. Quiet, be still. Now think of it from the disciples' perspective. I'm bailing water. I'm thinking I'm going to die. I'm never going to see my wife or kids again. And I... I catch Jesus in the back of the boat and I'm kind of ticked because he's sleeping on the job. And I'm like, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care? We're about to drown. Do something. Here's a bucket. And Jesus says, quiet, be still. Who do you think he's talking to if you're one of the disciples? The wind and the waves? No, we know the story. We think he's talking to us. And I'm my dad's kid. And the last thing you ever told my dad when he got riled up about something was like, hey, dad, chill, quiet, be still. That was a sure way to have not quiet and not still. And so I just picture myself being there and thinking Jesus is telling me in the midst of a crisis, quiet, be still while I'm bailing water. You guys, I think I would have taken my bucket and been like, poof. Jesus overboard, big wave, knocked him over. Somebody get him, throw him a line. But I think before they could do that, the wind, what would you have felt? What emotions would you have had? And then, I love this part, he turns around, says to him, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I would have been like, I don't know, Jesus, why I was afraid. I mean, big storm, thought I was going to drown, waves breaking over the back. Then you did the be quiet, be still thing. That's why. Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Catch this first snapshot. He's in the back of the boat. It's a picture of a man exhausted and asleep in a major storm. And the next minute, it's a picture of the creator commanding his creation to be quiet 
and become still. In that moment, Jesus broke every category that these guys in the boat had about him. He broke the category of, this can't just be a man, can he? And it broke the categories of, if he is God and God's son, it broke every category they would have had about who the Messiah was and how he would come and how he would present himself. This is not a bad, like a nice Bible story that we tell our children. This is a passage, an account that's rich in theology. We would say it's the incarnation. It's God becoming flesh and blood. It's this big God when we look out at horse tooth rock and we see the stars on a summer night or the snow-capped mountains. It's that big creative God becoming small in a person in the relentless pursuit of you and me. This is not just a story for kids and in this moment, their world was blown up. And Jesus wasn't just a replica so we could look at what God is like, we could see what he's like. But he was actually somebody who was present with the disciples so that we would know that God is present with us. And this very Jesus who stopped the wind and the waves, quiet, be still, His spirit, when we give our lives to him, lives in us. His presence, his power, lives in us. He came in weakness, fully man, asleep in the boat, I think on a corduroy cushion, exhausted, a fellow traveler on the journey, sometimes exhausted by life's demands, but in a second's notice, unleashing his power as the creator over his creation. And I wonder if for us, as we prepare for Easter, if his shout to be quiet and be still actually is for us. Because see, when I'm in a panic, when I'm in a storm, when I'm living in fear, or shame, or guilt, whatever your list is, often fear causes me to forget who I am and who it is with me in my life, in my boat. Jesus' question to them is, you guys forgot, didn't you? You forgot who was in the boat with you. There's no need to fear. I'm not just powerful, I'm present. So some questions, first snapshot for you. And I'm gonna give you a chance to have silent prayer in your seat where you're at, but see if any of these click with your heart. Have you forgotten? Are you distracted? Are your eyes focused on the storm of which you have little control over? Or is it focused on Jesus? Does it feel like God is asleep at the wheel? I want to encourage you each day until Easter to read the Gospels, at least a portion of it. Look at Jesus and ask him to address your fear, your identity crisis. And I ask that you would turn your focus to Jesus. So take a moment. Silent prayer. It won't even be that long. What would you pray now and ask Jesus to do in your life? As for a moment, we will be quiet and we will be still and we will remember who he is and whose we are. Jesus, in this quiet moment, in the moments that we make in the weeks ahead coming to Easter, would you speak to us and remind us who we are 
and whose we are, and that you are present and you are powerful in our lives. Amen. Sna second snapshot, you ready? I, uh, when I would be at Young Life Camp, I was always amazed at the diversity of the people that were there. 550 people from all over the nation. Diversity in culture, diversity in language, diversity in skin color and belief. Different parts with different people with different accents from all over the US and actually the world. And what was amazing is this. We had far more in common even though we'd come from all these different experiences and places, we had far more in common than we had, in, than we had different. And what I learned was that the life of Jesus, his life, his teaching, his words, cut across every potential line and boundary that we would ever erect as human beings that the lines or boundaries that we create as people or that we live by, Jesus' words and life seems to cut across of them and be universal, which makes sense if he really is the creator of our lives, right? He would cut across every language, culture, socioeconomic um, circumstance with which you're living. Yet, one of the things that I learned we all had in common was this, is that everyone there behind every face, be, behind every energized, enthusiastic, fun, wild high school student or young life leader there, behind that face was a person who had in some way been bruised or broken along the way by their own choices or by the choices of someone else. But every one of us was doing the best to make sure that the outside never betrayed some of the brokenness that was having, happening on the inside. Yet if you were able to spend, waste enough time with somebody, creatively waste enough time with them, you could get to hear their story. And when you heard their story, you would see the same brokenness that you had in your own life. And there we found common ground. And Jesus encounters a woman in the second snapshot shortly after the storm. Now, you got to know the series of events kind of starting from the storm on the lake. It's wild. If you want to go read it in, in Mark 4 or 5 and see what happens to Jesus and his guys. At this point, when it comes to this event, they're worn out. Like they're like, no more Jesus. It can't get crazier, but it did. So they land on the shore. They cross the boat river and they end up on the edges of a city. Mark 5, 21 through 34. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. This was happening everywhere. Large crowds coming to see him, to listen to him, potentially to be healed by him because word had gotten around that people who were sick were being healed by Jesus. And some of those people showed up hoping that this would be true. Then one of the synagogue leaders, a man named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He humbles himself. Again, we can brush by this if we're familiar with this story. When's the last time you fell at somebody's feet in humility? Yesterday? Last week, last year, decade, I mean, bow down at somebody's feet. You, this, and this is, a, you guys, a synagogue leader. This is a, man, a respected man of faith. And he runs and he falls at the feet of Jesus. What would make a man that desperate? And he's doing it in front of a bunch of people. And he pleaded earnestly with him, Jesus, my little daughter, ah, there it is. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And Jesus went with them. This Jairus is making a 911 call right now because the people back in his city 
didn't know what to do and had told him she's going to die. And Jesus shows up just at the right time and Jairus runs to the edge of town, falls at his feet, kind of humbling himself in front of him, a last ditch effort saying, Jesus, if you will come, I know you can heal my daughter, but you've got to come quick. Do you feel the drama in this moment? Now, the disciples, I think there were a couple smart ones here who kind of knew who Jairus was, and they heard from some of the crowd. They were thinking, oh, this is good. Jairus is serious VIP. And if we help him out, I know he's going to help the movement out. He's going to be good word of mouth for us as we go. So they make their way from the outskirts of the city on the lake, and they begin to move into the city. Now, remember, these cities weren't engineered like our cities are today. The roads were narrow. They didn't build big roads for large crowds to gather through. So as they go into the city, it becomes less and less COVID friendly. There was no six foot distancing as they got into the city with the crowd. The large crowd followed and pressed against him. And a woman was there in the crowd who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had been menstruating for 12 years. She had a medical condition that was very serious. It was an internal condition that was putting her health at risk. And not only that, according to the custom of the day, she would have been what is called unclean. And it would have been her responsibility to make sure that she wouldn't touch anybody else because in touching them, in their bumping into, associating with her, they too would be unclean, which means they would be unable to worship God and be part of the worshiping community. I know in our context, it almost feels barbaric. It comes, these rules were in the Old Testament, um, but this is the world that they're living in. And she's had this condition for 12 years. And it says that she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, the experts, the specialists. And under their care, she had spent all she had. And yet, instead of getting better, she had grown worse. The experts, the specialists, the best that the world had to offer for answers for her condition, she only got worse. And she had spent everything she had. And this is a last-ditch effort. You ever been there? I have friends that have said, yeah, I'll take a look at God because everything else isn't working. My life has just gotten so desperate. Okay, I'll try the God thing. This woman is at her wit's end, no money, and fearful she'll never live a whole full life without this condition. Well, it says, because she thought to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She was talking in particular about these tassels at the bottom of the garment that he is wearing called tzitzit, T-Z-I-T, tzitzit. And there's an obscure verse that references that there's deliverance in the wings, and in they would that was believed to be these seat seats. So she's coming with kind of like partial, tiny faith in Jesus as a last ditch effort, and she's also coming with a little bit of what feels like superstition, not a great theological foundation, right? Desperation mixed with a mustard seed, tiny bit of faith, and a little bit of superstition. Not exactly like the story you're going to tell about how somebody should really come to faith in Jesus, right? And she also knows that she shouldn't be in the crowd doing what she's doing. She's sneaking around because every person she touches is ceremonially unclean in this moment, but she's willing to risk it. And it says that as he goes by, that she touches his garment and immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Freed. And at once, catch this, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the, cla- in the crowd and I don't think he said it softly. I, didn't think he w- I don't think he was like, who touched my clothes? She touched his clothes, she was healed, and I think she turned and was ready to get out of there. 
I think she wanted to be walking away as she touched it and going, yeah, yeah, let's go. But she's trying to control herself. She's been healed, and she doesn't want people to know what just happened. She wanted an anonymous flyby encounter with Jesus. And Jesus stops, and she, he, the whole thing, right? There's a crowd following him, you know, kind of moving along, crowded street. He stops. I think people were like, boop, 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 bumping into each other. And he's like, hey, who touched my clothes? And his disciples look at him really politely again. And, uh, and it, it, let's see, you see, and they say, you see the people crowding against you, and yet you ask who touched me. They're kind of like, Jesus, come on, dude. Like, everybody's touching you. You're the man, okay? The crowd, here for you. They want to see what you're going to do with Jairus, VIP. We're on an agenda here. Let's get there as quick as we can. What do you mean, Jesus? Who touched me? And I think Jesus started to scan the crowd. I think this woman had turned, and now she's like, I got to play cool. Who touched me? You know, trying not to make a scene. And I think Jesus started to look. And then he locked eyes with her. And he knew. I think she had tears in her eyes. I think she couldn't hold it in anymore. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. Second time, in a very short amount of time, somebody's fallen at their feet. When's the last time somebody fell at your feet? Been a long time for me. Like never. And it says she was trembling with the fear. She, she was found out. And it says that she told him the whole truth. In fact, a different translation says that she told him the same story, the whole story. She tells Jesus the whole story of 12 years of this condition, going to all the experts who were supposed to have the answers. And instead of getting better, she got worse and spent all that she had. Shame, regret, Broken relationships with ourselves, with God, with others, they're part of the human experience. And sometimes the shame and regret hardens our heart towards others and towards God. Some people, like my daughter's friend, just have simply a bad introduction to Jesus. And look what happens. Somebody who's trying to hide what's going on the inside tries to have a flyby encounter with Jesus. And he says, no, no, no. That's not how we do it. Everybody thought the agenda was Jairus' daughter. God's agenda is always his kids. And he always has time to stop and hear our story. He's present, he's powerful, and he's not interested in this kind of I'll fly by relationship with him. He wants to know our story, and he wants to share with us his story and how our stories connect together. And in that, we have life and wholeness and fullness of life that you and I were created for. Because behind every faith face in this room tonight is a person that somehow has been affected by the brokenness of their own choices, of the choices of someone else. We know if we've grown up around Jesus and as a believer, if we've read the scriptures, we know there's a word that, that from in the Bible that causes this called sin. It's the root cause, but the brokenness is a symptom of that. And everybody's got it behind our sophistication and how we dress ourselves up. And Jesus wants to go to those places as well. And all it takes is a mustard seed of faith. 
not a great theological foundation, but a hope and a prayer. In that brief encounter with Jesus, he wants to turn into a meaningful, powerful, present relationship in our life. Snapshot number two. Where are you today? Where's your faith? What's the temperature of it? Is, have you been doing the flyby thing? I'll get a little touch of Jesus on the weekend. I'm good to go for the week. Or is there a part of you that knows that you so desperately need his presence in your life? That you will fight through a crowd. You will risk ridicule with a hope and a prayer that he would hear your story. Listen to what you have to say and meet you in it. Is that the Jesus you know? If I was honest, and this is scary as a pastor, sometimes that's the Jesus I know. Sometimes I'd like the flyby because if I let them do a flyby, I don't have to face the hard stuff. I don't have to let them into that stuff. But he can do what the experts can't do. Snapshot number two. Where are you? 30 seconds just to pray about that. Where are you with Jesus? Jesus, we, I'll just pray for me, and maybe you can pray this for you. Jesus, I sometimes find myself exhausted from trying to give the appearance that I've got things together. I ask that you would reach deep into those places that are broken and wounded and that you would work on my heart. Would you meet me, us, in those places? We ask that you would heal us. Amen. Third snapshot Mary Magdalene, a woman who had lived a pretty hard life, had a reputation profoundly broken, and along comes Jesus into her life, who loves her, not wanting something from her, but who sees the dignity in her and begins to call out her value and her worth. And in that relationship with him, she is transformed. Jesus, on that Good Friday, which we'll celebrate on April 2nd, was crucified. And because the Sabbath was coming very quickly, they did a hasty burial, putting his body in the tomb and rolling a a stone in front of it. But three days later, early in the morning, before the sun was up, well before, she goes to a cemetery alone as a woman. Not sure what she would find, but to give him a proper burial that day. Because this man who had died that she had loved, who had given her dignity and forgiveness and respect for herself and others, deserved a decent burial. And she arrives and the stone is rolled aside. And here is what happens. She peers into the grave and two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she said, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this she turned around, her back was to this man caught in the dark. Was it one of the religious leaders who had just prosecuted? Was it a Roman centurion about to take her to jail herself? Was it somebody who would take advantage of her in the dark in a cemetery? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put, it, put him. And at this she t- saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. 
Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Look at the moxie in her. She's gonna pick up a dead body and drag him or throw him over her shoulder to bury him properly. And then Jesus said one word to her. Mary, her name. And he didn't speak it like you or I would say Mary. He spoke it like the very creator who had knit Mary together. In Psalm 139, knit you together in the womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He knew Mary better than Mary knew herself. And as he says her name, he speaks dignity. He calls out the created image of God in her. And in that moment, she knows who it is, and she turns to him and says, Robani, teacher. And she goes and grabs hold of him. But look what Jesus does. Don't hold on to me. This is a great Kodak moment, Mary. But I've got work for you to do. For I've not ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news and said, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. A woman in this culture, her testimony in court wouldn't even have been considered. And yet the first person picked to proclaim the resurrected Jesus was a woman with a terrible broken past that carried no weight in the society in which she lived. He said, you get to be the first. Jesus calls us by name. I believe tonight he calls you by name. And he wants each of us to know the dignity, the beauty, the image of God that we are created with. And then he wants to send us from here tonight saying, don't hold on to me in this moment. I have purposes for you you could never imagine. Go tell the boys. Jesus calls you by name. We're going to celebrate communion here. And in just a moment, I'm going to have you go to the different stations that are here. Grab this, finagle with the, the cup and the plastic. You can do it. The gluten-free communion is in the back. Save the elements, hold them, and we're going to take them together. But in this moment, be open to hearing God call your name, to speak truth, love, dignity into you. And then we'll have a, sing a song. We'll take communion, sing a song, and have a prayer, and we'll be done. Go grab the elements, head back to your seat, and worship together. This meal we celebrate now was instituted before his execution. It was a Passover meal. And he sat with his disciples, the ones that were in that boat with him and in that crowded city. The one that Mary ran to and told that Jesus was alive. They sat in a room and he took the bread, he broke it and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. For you and all mankind that you might have life with God for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's remember Take and eat. And then at the proper time in the meal, per tradition, he took the wine, but he did something different than he had done before. And he said, this is the cup of my blood. It's the start of a new everlasting covenant my blood shed for you, that you might have life. 
take and drink. And as we go a prayer, may we go and be quiet and still in our hearts and minds over the next several weeks so that we remember who we are, who you are, Jesus, and whose we are. May you have peace that Jesus knows your exhaustion firsthand and that he's present and powerful no matter what storm it is that you're facing. May you go knowing that a mustard seed of faith in desperation is more than enough for him to do his healing work in you. And may you remember He's not a God of flyby encounters. He deeply wants you. And he deeply gives himself. And may you know, I know, that we are his agenda. And he doesn't just have answers to life, but the power to do something about our brokenness. And lastly, may you know to the deepest parts of your soul that you are created in his, his image. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the crown jewel of his creation. And he will pursue you relentlessly for the rest of your life. And God's people said together in the name, the powerful name of Jesus, they said, amen. You guys, I hope you have a blessed few weeks preparing for the Easter season. I pray that you are safe and you survive Snowmageddon. Okay, no matter what that means, but I can't wait to see you after it happens so we can laugh about it. Love you guys. Hopefully see you this weekend. There is no Wednesday night community next week. Okay, it's spring break. So no Wednesday night community next week and we'll be back the following week. Love you guys.